Section 85 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2. Book the Sixth. Chapter 5. State Policy Deals with Little Matters as Well as with Great. Ursus, alas, had boasted that he had never wept. His reservoir of tears was full. Such plentitude as is accumulated drop on drop, sorrow on sorrow, through a long existence, is not to be poured out in a moment. Ursus wept alone. The first tear is a letting out of waters. He wept for Gwynplaine, for Dea, for himself, Ursus, for Homo. He wept like a child, he wept like an old man. He wept for everything at which he had ever laughed. He paid off arrears. Man is never non-suited when he pleads his right to tears. The corpse they had just buried was Hardkanon's, but Ursus could not know that. The hours crept on. Day began to break. The pale clothing of the morning was spread out dimly creased with shadow, over the bowling-green. The dawn lighted up the front of the Tadcaster Inn. Master Nicholas had not gone to bed, because sometimes the same occurrence produces sleeplessness in many. Troubles radiate in every direction. Throw a stone in the water and count the splashes. Master Nicholas felt himself impeached. It is very disagreeable that such things should happen in one's house, Master Nicholas, uneasy and foreseeing misfortunes, meditated. He regretted having received such people into his house, had he but known that they would end by getting him into mischief. But the question was how to get rid of them. He had given Ursus a lease. What a blessing if he could free himself from it! How should he set to work to drive them out? Suddenly the door of the inn resounded with one of those tumultuous knocks which in England announces somebody. The gamut of knocking corresponds with the ladder of hierarchy. It was not quite the knock of a lord, but it was the knock of a justice. The trembling innkeeper half opened his window. There was indeed the magistrate. Master Nicholas perceived at the door a body of police from the head of which two men detached themselves, one of whom was the justice of the quorum. Master Nicholas had seen the justice of the quorum that morning, and recognized him. He did not know the other, who was a fat gentleman with a waxen-coloured face, a fashionable wig, and a travelling cloak. Nicholas was much afraid of the first of these persons, the justice of the quorum. Had he been of the court, he would have feared the other most because it was Bacal Phaedro. One of the subordinates knocked at the door again violently. The innkeeper, with great drops of perspiration on his brow from anxiety, opened it. The justice of the quorum, in the tone of a man who is employed in matters of police, and who is well acquainted with various shades of vagrancy, raised his voice, and asked severely for, Master Ursus! The host, cap in hand, replied, "'Your Honour, he lives here.' "'I know it,' said the Justice. "'No doubt, Your Honour.' "'Tell him to come down.' 
Your Honour, he is not here. Where is he? I do not know. How is that? He has not come in. Then he must have gone out very early. No, but he went out very late. What vagabonds, replied the justice. Your Honour, said Master Nicholas softly, here he comes. Ursus indeed had just come in sight, round a turn of the wall. He was returning to the inn. He had passed nearly the whole night between the jail, where at midday he had seen Gwynplaine, and the cemetery, where at midnight he had heard the grave filled up. He was pallid with two pallors, that of sorrow and of twilight. Dawn, which is light in a chrysalis state, leaves even those forms which are in movement in the uncertainty of night. Ursus, wan and indistinct, walked slowly like a man in a dream. In the wild distraction produced by agony of mind, he had left the inn with his head bare. He had not even found out that he had no hat on. His spare grey locks fluttered in the wind. His open eyes appeared sightless. Often when awake we are asleep, and as often when asleep we are awake. Ursus looked like a lunatic. "'Master Ursus!' cried the innkeeper. "'Come, their honours desire to speak to you.' Master Nicholas, in his endeavour to soften matters down, let slip, although he would gladly have omitted, this plural, their honours, respectful to the group, but mortifying, perhaps, to the chief, confounded therein, to some degree, with his subordinates. Ursus started like a man falling off a bed, on which he was sound asleep. "'What is the matter?' said he. He saw the police, and at the head of the police the justice. A fresh and rude shock. But a short time ago the wapentake, now the justice of the quorum. He seemed to have been cast from one to the other as ships by some reefs of which we have read in old stories. The justice of the quorum made him a sign to enter the tavern. Ursus obeyed. Govicum, who had just got up and who was sweeping the room, stopped his work, got into a corner behind the tables, put down his broom, and held his breath. He plunged his fingertips into his hair and scratched his head, a symptom which indicated attention to what was about to occur. The justice of the quorum sat down on a form before a table. Barclfedro took a chair. Ursus and Master Nicholas remained standing. The police officers, left outside, grouped themselves in front of the closed door. The justice of the quorum fixed his eye full of the law upon Ursus. He said, "'You have a wolf.' Ursus answered, "'Not exactly.' "'You have a wolf,' continued the justice, emphasizing wolf with a decided accent. Ursus answered, "'You see—' and he was silent. "'A misdemeanour,' replied the justice. Ursus hazarded an excuse. "'He is my servant.' The justice placed his hand flat on the table, with his fingers spread out, which is a very fine gesture of authority. "'Mary Andrew, to-morrow by this hour you and your wolf must have left England. If not, the wolf will be seized, carried to the register office, and killed.' Ursus thought, "'More murder!' 
but he breathed not a syllable, and was satisfied with trembling in every limb. "'You hear?' said the justice. Ursus nodded. The justice persisted. "'Killed!' There was silence. "'Strangled or drowned!' The justice of the quorum watched Ursus. "'And yourself in prison!' Ursus murmured. "'Your worship!' Be off before to-morrow morning. If not, such is the order. Your worship. What? Must we leave England, he and I? Yes. To-day? To-day. What is to be done? Master Nicholas was happy. The magistrate whom he had feared had come to his aid. The police had acted as auxiliary to him, Nicholas. They had delivered him from such people. The means he had sought were brought to him. Ursus, whom he wanted to get rid of, was being driven away by the police, a superior authority. Nothing to object to. He was delighted. He interrupted. Your Honour, that man, he pointed to Ursus with his finger, that man wants to know how he is to leave England to-day. Nothing can be easier. There are night and day at anchor on the Thames, both on this and on the other side of London Bridge, vessels that sail to the continent. They go from England to Denmark to Holland to Spain, not to France on account of the war, but everywhere else. To-night several ships will sail, about one o'clock in the morning, which is the hour of high tide, and, amongst others, the Vograt of Rotterdam. The justice of the quorum made a movement of his shoulder towards Ursus. "'Be it so, leave by the first ship, by the Vograt.' "'Your worship,' said Ursus. "'Well?' "'Your worship, if I had, as formerly, only my little box on wheels, it might be done. A boat would contain that, but—' "'But what?' But now I have got the green box, which is a great caravan drawn by two horses, and however wide the ship might be, we could not get it into her. What is that to me? said the justice. The wolf will be killed. Ursus shuddered as if he were grasped by a hand of ice. Monsters, he thought, murdering people is their way of settling matters. The innkeeper smiled and addressed Ursus. Master Ursus, you can sell the green box. Ursus looked at Nicholas. Master Ursus, you have the offer. From whom? An offer for the caravan, an offer for the two horses, an offer for the two gypsy women, an offer— From whom? repeated Ursus. From the proprietor of the neighbouring circus. Ursus remembered it. It is true. Master Nicholas turned to the justice of the quorum. Your Honour, the bargain can be completed to-day. The proprietor of the circus close by wishes to buy the caravan and the horses. The proprietor of the circus is right, said the justice, because he will soon require them. A caravan and horses will be useful to him. He too will depart to-day. The reverend gentlemen of the parish of Southwick have complained of the indecent riot in Taranzo Field. The sheriff has taken his measures. To-night there will not be a single juggler's booth in the place. 
there must be an end of all these scandals. The honourable gentleman who deigns to be here present. The justice of the quorum interrupted his speech to salute Barclphedro, who returned the bow. The honourable gentleman who deigns to be present has just arrived from Windsor. He brings orders. Her Majesty has said, it must be swept away. Ursus, during his long meditation all night, had not failed to put himself some questions. After all, he had only seen a buyer. Could he be sure that it contained Gwynplaine? Other people might have died besides Gwynplaine. A coffin does not announce the name of the corpse as it passes by. A funeral had followed the arrest of Gwynplaine. That proved nothing. Post hoc, non propter hoc, etc. Ursus had begun to doubt. Hope burns and glimmers over misery like naphtha over water. Its hovering flame ever floats over human sorrow. Ursus had come to this conclusion. It is probable that it was Gwynplaine whom they buried, but it is not certain. Who knows? Perhaps Gwynplaine is still alive. Ursus bowed to the justice. Honourable judge, I will go away, we will go away, all will go away, by the Vograd of Rotterdam, to-day. I will sell the green box, the horses, the trumpets, the gypsies. But I have a comrade whom I cannot leave behind. Gwynplaine. Gwynplaine is dead, said a voice. Ursus felt a cold sensation such as is produced by a reptile crawling over the skin. It was Barclphedro who had just spoken. The last gleam was extinguished. No more doubt now. Gwynplaine was dead. A person in authority must know. This one looked ill-favoured enough to do so. Ursus bowed to him. Master Nicholas was a good-hearted man enough, but a dreadful coward. Once terrified, he became a brute. The greatest cruelty is that inspired by fear. He growled out, This simplifies matters. And he indulged, standing behind Ursus, in rubbing his hands, a peculiarity of the selfish, signifying, I am well out of it, and suggestive of Pontius Pilate washing his hands. Ursus, overwhelmed, bent down his head. The sentence on Gwynplaine had been executed. Death. His sentence was pronounced. Exile. Nothing remained but to obey. He felt as in a dream. Someone touched his arm. It was the other person who was with the justice of the quorum. Ursus shuddered. The voice which had said, Gwynplaine is dead, whispered in his ear, Here are ten guineas, sent you by one who wishes you well. And Barclphedro placed a little purse on a table before Ursus. We must not forget the casket that Barclphedro had taken with him. Ten guineas out of two thousand. It was all that Barclphedro could make up his mind to part with. In all conscience it was enough. If he had given more, he would have lost. He had taken the trouble of finding out a lord, and having sunk the shaft, it was but fair that the first proceeds of the mine should belong to him. 
Those who see meanness in the act are right, but they would be wrong to feel astonished. Barclphedro loved money, especially money which was stolen. An envious man is an avaricious one. Barclphedro was not without his faults. The commission of crimes does not preclude the possession of vices. Tigers have their lice. Besides, he belonged to the school of Bacon. Barclphedro turned towards the justice of the quorum, and said to him, Sir, be so good as to conclude this matter. I am in haste. A carriage and horses belonging to Her Majesty await me. I must go full gallop to Windsor, for I must be there within two hours' time. I have intelligence to give and orders to take. The justice of the quorum arose. He went to the door, which was only latched, opened it, and, looking silently towards the police, beckoned to them authoritatively. They entered with that silence which heralds severity of action. Master Nicholas, satisfied with the rapid denouement which cut short his difficulties, charmed to be out of the entangled skein, was afraid when he saw the muster of officers that they were going to apprehend Ursus in his house. Two arrests, one after the other, made in his house, first that of Gwynplaine, then that of Ursus, might be injurious to the inn. Customers dislike police raids. Here, then, was a time for a respectful appeal, suppliant and generous. Master Nicholas turned toward the justice of the quorum a smiling face, in which confidence was tempered by respect. Your Honour, I venture to observe to Your Honour that these honourable gentlemen, the police officers, might be dispensed with, now that the wolf is about to be carried away from England, and that this man Ursus makes no resistance. And since Your Honour's orders are being punctually carried out, Your Honour will consider that the respectable business of the police, so necessary to the good of the kingdom, does great harm to an establishment, and that my house is innocent. The Merry Andrews of the Green Box, having been swept away, as Her Majesty says, there is no longer any criminal here, as I do not suppose that the blind girl and the two women are criminals. Therefore I implore Your Honour to deign to shorten your august visit, and to dismiss these worthy gentlemen who have just entered, because there is nothing for them to do in my house. And if Your Honour will permit me to prove the justice of my speech under the form of a humble question, I will prove the inutility of these revered gentlemen's presence by asking Your Honour, if the man Ursus obeys orders and departs, who can there be to arrest here? Yourself, said the justice. A man does not argue with a sword that runs him through and through. Master Nicholas subsided. He cared not on what. On a table, on a form, on anything that happened to be there. Prostrate. The justice raised his voice so that if there were people outside they might hear. Master Nicholas Plumptree, keeper of this tavern, this is the last point to be settled. This mountebank and the wolf are vagabonds. They are driven away. But the person most in fault is yourself. It is in your house and with your consent that the law has been violated, and you, a man licensed, invested with a public responsibility, have established the scandal here. Master Nicholas, your license is taken away. You must pay the penalty and go to prison. The policeman surrounded the innkeeper. 
The justice continued, pointing out Govicum. Arrest that boy as an accomplice. The hand of an officer fell upon the collar of Govicum, who looked at him inquisitively. The boy was not much alarmed, scarcely understanding the occurrence. Having already observed many things out of the way, he wondered if this were the end of the comedy. The justice of the quorum forced his hat down on his head, crossed his hands on his stomach, which is the height of majesty, and added, It is decided, Master Nicholas, you are to be taken to prison and put into jail, you and the boy, and this house, the Tadcaster Inn, is to remain shut up, condemned and closed, for the sake of example, upon which you will follow us. End of section 85. Recording by John Trevithick.